Well, this morning we return to the book of Daniel. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn there with me. Daniel chapter 5, we are in week 5, chapter 5 and week 5 in our study of this ancient book. Uh, I hope you are enjoying uh, this study. Uh, I hope you are benefiting, benefiting from it, that the Lord is doing His work in your lives, in your hearts. One of my kids blessed me this week by uh, expressing their enjoyment uh, at learning truth through story, and that God's grand story of redemption is embedded in this story uh, in ancient Babylon, and uh, how how engaging that is for them, and indeed it's a gift for all of us. As you're finding your place to Daniel chapter 5, I just want to tell you a little bit of of where we're headed, just give you a little holiday preview as Thanksgiving is breathing down our necks uh, this week. Um, This this week and next week will be our last two weeks in Daniel for the year. Uh, We're going to set aside Daniel the first Sunday of December and uh, spend some time focusing our hearts and our thinking on uh, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. We've, uh, if you've been here the past couple Christmases, uh, Advent series is, our Advent series have been um, uh, sort of non-traditional. They've been uh, uh, focusing on other places in the Scripture that point to point to Jesus. This year, we've decided. Um, we being the session, myself in the session, uh, to focus on. Uh, the narrative passages, uh, the Advent passages, Luke 1 and Luke 2. And so we'll be working our way through those two chapters uh, in the month of December. And I'm delighted to tell you that, uh, that Austin Clement, our intern, will be leading uh, that, uh, that Advent series the first Sunday of December, kicking it off for us. And so I'm excited for that, something to look forward to. Um, Back to Daniel. As we turn to Daniel chapter 5, we are now, before I read this, I want to give you a little bit of context. We are now 30 years from chapter 4, and this has happened several times. We've never had quite the jump that this has been, but we are 30 years after the events of chapter 4, which we looked at just last week. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, after a 43-year reign, has now been dead at the beginning of chapter 5. He's now been dead for 23 years. And so a lot has happened uh, that we didn't know about, that we haven't been aware of. Uh, but as I've stated before, this is Daniel's highlights in his life in exile. And so, yes, indeed, a lot of, uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge, as they say. A lot of things have happened, and yet... As we come to our passage this morning, we're going to find out, we're going to see that there are some things that never change. (laughs) There are some things that are slow to change. And so I invite you to give your attention to God's Word this morning, Daniel chapter 5. It's again a lengthy passage. If you're able, uh, I'd invite you to stand out of honor uh, for God's Word. If you're not able or if you'd rather sit and and make notes, that's certainly fine. You can sit. Daniel chapter 5, listen as I read, give your attention to the Word of God. Verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. 
Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, and the the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, and the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods." In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, And have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said to the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, 
And his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know, but the God who, in whose hand is your breath... And whose, all, who, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was, ab- was about to be made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Glory. Please be seated. Here we go again. It's the title of uh, today's sermon. It's a phrase that we use often in our lives. Here we go again. It's often not used in a positive context, and we've got some of that here this morning as we return to our story. We've got what seems to be more of the same. As Daniel gives us another highlight in his experience in exile in Babylon, in this foreign land, he presses in once again to themes, themes of a generation ago at least for him. Themes for us, as we walk through this book, that are just weeks old. Things we looked at last week and the week before. As I came to this passage this week to begin my study, indeed it was a challenge to think about how to preach this passage. And yet, what what, what occurred to me 
is the fact that what God is doing here is there is a cumulative weight, a cumulative weight of what God is communicating to his people that forces us to ask, why does he keep hammering these things home? Now, of course, it must be said that that the Bible, that the book of Daniel, wasn't written specifically for what we do here. In other words, Daniel wasn't sitting down as he wrote his account of Babylon, and he was thinking, okay, how is Nate Hitchcock going to preach this book? I should need to divide this into this preaching passage for him so he can cover this over the next several weeks. No, these original chapters, were they were written, and for the original audience, they were heard often in one sitting as God's people were in, absorbing. And you can imagine them hearing these stories and just letting wave after wave of theme hit them. God rules the kingdom of men, the pride of men's hearts. Today, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, I trust, after we have experienced some of these things in the past weeks, God's at work in us. I didn't want to preach to you on this subject again. I didn't want to press further into these things. Certainly didn't want to press further into my heart on these things, and yet that is what the Lord sees fit. And so there's just one truth that I want to meditate on today. I want to drive home as we walk through this passage. It's kind of a mashup and a further meditation on the two truths that we looked at last week. For those of you who are here, I know all of you remember them. God rules the kingdom of men and God will humble the proud. Well, today we look at simply this. God will judge the arrogance of man. God will judge the arrogance of man. Now that That's a comfort to many of us. It also should be a warning to all of us. Let's jump into the story. After after familiar faces have been building as we've walked through this story of Daniel, we this week are introduced to a new main character. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Belshazzar is now on the scene, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon. But there's a problem, because history doesn't record Belshazzar as the last king of Babylon. And here come the Bible critics, oh, ho, ho, you Christians, this book is unreliable. History says no Belshazzar here It seems Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon, but there's an explanation. You see, Belshazzar, it's true, is not a direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. He refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father. The queen refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, but father in this context simply is predecessor. As we might say, Father Abraham had many sons. Belshazzar is actually the son of Nabonidus. I'm going to give you a little history, a little ancient history. Nabonidus is listed as the last king of Babylon. 
Nabonidus was a revolt leader who seized control of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar's death and the vacuum that that death created. But history tells us, for whatever reason, Nabonidus did not live in Babylon, the capital city, the most powerful city in Babylon. And a lot of people have speculated why Nabonidus is not around. Some have said religious reasons. Some had said he just is not a popular leader. And so who is Belshazzar? Belshazzar is Nabonidus' son. And Nabonidus left Belshazzar in Babylon and said, rule here. And so Belshazzar and Nabonidus are vice regents, we might say, of Babylon during this time. Which is why when Belshazzar offers the prize for interpreting the writing, it is you may be third ruler in the kingdom because there are already two rulers reigning. And so he's not a son, and yet, as we might say, he is a chip off the old block. (laughs) Belshazzar has followed in the line of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's as arrogant as they come. Here we go again. It's an arrogance, it's a stealing of God's glory. That God, the God who gave breath, the God who sets kings in place, simply will not tolerate. And so judgment is coming, and it's coming in the form of the Medo-Persian Empire. You see, what we see here and what, we just, what you just heard as I read it to you in Daniel chapter 5, it's not the whole picture. It's not the whole scene. The scene that we see here is one of a dinner gathering. And not just a dinner gathering, but it seems to be a a wild, out of control, even licentious party. Right? The wives are there. The concubines are there. The alcohol is flowing. But there's another scene happening at this same exact time. It's outside the walls of Babylon. Because outside the walls of Babylon, the Persian army is gathering. And they're shouting. And they're scheming. And they are ready to pounce. Just as Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, just as Daniel had said, just as God had promised, the head of gold that is Babylon is about to be replaced. World power is going to shift. God is moving history at his whim, at his will. And it's not as if, it's not as if Belshazzar doesn't know this is happening. This is not a, a sneak attack. No, history tells us that the Babylonians had just suffered days earlier a devastating attack. Babylon had all been wiped out except for the city of Babylon. That was really all that was left. And indeed, Babylon was quite the fortress. But Belshazzar's actions are the height of pride and arrogance. He needs no one. I mean, did he really think that Babylon would 
successfully defend itself? That it was impenetrable? Or was this kind of a eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? I actually think it was the former. I think this was Belshazzar giving the finger to Persia. And more graphically, more tragically, giving the finger to Yahweh. Ignoring the stories of the past, ignoring the reputation of the God of the Hebrews, even ignoring the transformation of Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, the most powerful man on the planet that preceded him. Belshazzar's pride has emboldened him, making him stupid. It reminds me of that scene in the movie Titanic when the lifeguards are, are excuse me, the lifeguards, the lifeboats are being, are being filled. And the string quartet, remember, they come out on the deck and they set up their chairs and they're playing their music as the, as the screams are being heard, as the lifeboats are being lowered. There's irrational Mary in the face of tragedy. Bring out Yahweh's junk from that temple, he says. Notice the repetition that Daniel Daniel writes with. He keeps saying over and again, he's speaking of these vessels that came from the temple of God. The things of the Lord are not to be trifled with. Bring out that junk. We will brazenly declare that we are sufficient, that our gods are sufficient, that Yahweh is inept. And so they eat and they drink and they laugh and Belshazzar puffs out his chest with all of his servants and all of the women around until verse 6. And he loses it. He goes pale. He freaks out. His knees knock. And as the ESV translates, his limbs gave way. We don't know exactly what that means. Some have said his hip actually went out of joint and he crumbled to the floor. It literally says the the knots of his loins were loosened. In other words, a lot of people think that actually Belshazzar, in a wonderfully satisfying uncontrolled instance of humility messes himself because he is so scared. God is humbling the proud. Nebuchadnezzar ate grass and moaned like an animal. Belshazzar crumbles to the ground uncontrollably. And it comes, appropriately so, at the revelation of his word. One of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, God sends a hand to write on the wall. No thunder, no lightning, just a simple scribble that brings the king, the arrogant king, to his knees. Now, there's so much that we don't know. A lot of questions to ask Jesus when you meet him. There's so much we don't know. People people certainly saw the end result of the writing, but did they actually see the hand, or did, did the king alone see the hand? 
in his drunken stupor. We, we don't know. Some have argued that the writing was not actual words, but it was some sort of sim, symbols, symbols that, that pointed to words, symbols that, that Daniel would understand as the Lord gave him wisdom. We'll return to the words in a minute, but what we do know is that in a powerful irony, the God who was mocked a minute ago is now suddenly needed, is relied upon through Daniel. Although the party line for Daniel is that he has the spirit of the gods within him. Now, Daniel has been faithfully serving in the kingdom, as, as we say, for, for 30 years. We don't know what Daniel has been up to, but Daniel is now in his 80s. He's kind of an Obi, Obi-Wan kind of figure stepping into the scene now. I guess that makes sense only to my generation with the original ones. But he, but he is known, particularly to the previous generation, being that age. And the queen, the queen mother, we should say, this is thought to be Belshazzar's mother or his grandmother, she suggests that Daniel be called upon once again. And so as Daniel enters a situation that he is familiar with, right, a pagan king being humbled by Yahweh, He's not interested in rewards. He's a servant of Yahweh, of the Most High. He is not a magician for hire. And besides, Daniel, of all people, knows that any reward he gets from this king is meaningless. It's short-lived. What is interesting here is that Daniel begins with a history lesson. A lesson that we are all too aware of because of the last couple weeks that we've looked at these passages. Events that Belshazzar, like us here today, ought to have learned from. He tells him about Nebuchadnezzar and about his story. And it all comes to a head in verse 22. And here's the phrase, though you knew all this, though you knew all of this, the, play, the, the pride that plagued your predecessor, the consequences of that pride on his life and on his reign, you knew all that and you did nothing. You didn't humble yourself, but you did the exact opposite. And friends, I think this is where we, we slow down and let God's Word settle into our hearts. It's where it begins to come home for us. For the unbeliever, for the, the one here that is exploring Christianity, trying to figure out the God of the Bible, this is, this is the gut check. Psalm 10, verse 4, says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. See, what we read here this morning 
if you're seeking, if you're asking questions, one of the take-homes is not to let the pride of your heart blind you from reality. You know you're not the master of your fate. And Romans 1 in the New Testament declares that men are without excuse, having been shown clearly just through what has been made, that God is God. That as, as Daniel says, the one who gives breath is Yahweh, is God. See, Belshazzar made the mistake of, of not heeding what he knew, of letting it be mere information rather than knowledge for his heart and change for his life. And here's another lesson that's, that's I think, hard, hard for all of us. Knowing is not enough. And ultimately, what, in, what is needed, we cannot produce on our own. Ultimately, it's all about Him, and it doesn't get more humbling than that. We need the Spirit of God to open our eyes. Because at the end of the day, as we've walked through this, Nebuchadnezzar, in his arrogance, in his humbling, was shown mercy. Belshazzar, in his arrogance, in his humbling, is shown judgment. It's too late for Belshazzar. Now, was one, was one more deserving than the other? No, absolutely not. In fact, if we, if we look at their resumes, we probably would say that Nebuchadnezzar was more wicked than his successor, Belshazzar. And yet God chooses to change him and to show mercy Today is the day of salvation. And for those of us in this room, maybe all of us who who love the Lord, who have been changed by what you have heard, there's still a warning here. There's still a reminder that pride can so easily blind us. And that we must be watchful, in our striving towards humility before the God who has saved us, the God who comes to judge the arrogant, we should be asking, what am I not seeing in my life? Because pride is there. It's there. It's, it's in here. It's in Nate Hitchcock, and it's in all of us. As I was reading this week, I found what I think is a helpful quote from Tim Keller, one of the pastors in our Presbyterian name and an author that many of you know well. Tim Keller writes, pride is the root of all inferiority because it's self-absorbed with how do I look? It's the root of superiority. Pride is the root of worry. You're not worried unless you're sure how your life ought to go. Pride is the root of all bitterness. Why? Because you're only bitter against someone if you say, I would never do something like that. Pride is the root of even your unresolved guilt. Why? Because when somebody says, don't you see, you shouldn't feel so guilty, I feel guilty. 
Look, we forgive you, he says. God forgives you. Why won't you forgive yourself? Because you want to earn it. You don't want charity. Even though you didn't earn it, you should have. Pride is the reason in our postmodern world for boredom and cynicism. Pride is the basis for nationalism and war. Pride is the basis for tribalism and racism. And we could go on and on about the root of pride and how it manifests itself in our lives. We need to be watchful. We need to be inviting those in our lives whom we trust to ask the question of us, what what am I not seeing? We need to be praying Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I know we talked about pride last week. As I said, I didn't want to talk about pride again this week. But the arrogance of man is not what God desires. And so as we jump back into the story, Daniel relays from God this message of impending doom. Four words, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Now, as I said weeks ago, this portion of God's Word was written not in Hebrew, as the rest of the Old Testament is, but it's written in Aramaic. And Aramaic, like Hebrew, is only written with consonants present. And so I know that's a weird concept to to think about. But later, scribes added what we call vowel points on Hebrew characters to make it easier for us to understand just the consonant after consonant after consonant. And so if indeed it was words that were on the wall and not some kind of symbology With the vowel points inserted to make these words nouns, these four words actually describe four kinds of weight, descending weights from the heaviest to the lightest. And perhaps this is what the king and his guests and his astrologers saw. They just saw weights, like in our English equivalent, pounds, grams, you know, descending into lighter and lighter weights. But if you take different vowel points and put them on the same consonants of those words, they form verbs. And the verbs that they form are numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. And Daniel makes this clear and says that judgment has come. That God will not be mocked or trifled with. The so-called mighty will once again fall at the command of the Most High because God judges the arrogance of man. The Jews had had long desired and waited for the judgment of Babylon. Just, Just read the closing verses of Psalm 137. To hear how much they long to see Babylon broken. And in some ways, I think we we long for this same thing as God's people. 
And we rejoice that it is certain that the arrogance and the wickedness and the injustice that we see, God will not tolerate, but he will judge. And we don't rejoice in that. We don't long for that because we are better than they. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I am not like one of those. No, that is not the humble place that God calls his people to. We rejoice in God's judgment. We long for God's judgment because of the gospel alone. Because, brothers and sisters, you have been weighed and have been found worthy. And the only reason you have been found worthy is because of another. You know, that theme, here I go again, or here we go again, so often it's the cry of my own heart. <laughs> here I go again in my walk with the Lord. I've quoted words to you that, that I was singing in the shower this morning, actually. Words from Chris Rice lyrics, old singer-songwriter, you think I've had it down by now, been practicing for 30 years. I should have walked a thousand miles, so what am I still doing here? I'm going to get it right this time. I'll be strong. I'll make you proud. I've prayed that prayer a thousand times. But the rooster crows and my tears roll down. You see, I, sh I should have humility down by now. I've been practicing this for 43 years, Nate. But I don't. And yet I've been weighed and I've been found worthy. I'm forgiven. And he is holding me fast. And now there's only four words that I want to hear. They're not many, many, Tekel and Parson, they're good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, let this passage, this memorable scene remind, remind you, comfort you, give you hope, and challenge you. Lord, give us eyes to see not only what you're doing in the world, but give us eyes to see what's, what's going on in our own hearts, our own prideful hearts as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you this morning for your faithful servant, Daniel. Thank you, Spirit of Christ, for inspiring, for preserving these words and this story for our benefit. And now I pray that you would take it despite the weakness of its communication, take it and plant it deep in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.